Oh, clap your hands to the Lord and give him praise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He's worthy. He's worthy. Praise God. Praise God. Well, I feel the touch of the Lord tonight. John chapter 2. John chapter 2 and verse number 1. Feel a, a word that I I think ties in with what Pastor was preaching this morning. And it's a unique word for me and a unique message, but I feel like God wants us to receive it tonight. This is, of course, uh, the Lord's first miracle in John chapter 2. And we'll read the entirety of the story. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. And his mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. And Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. I'd like to preach from the first miracle of Jesus, this sermon, the key to the miraculous, the key to the miraculous. And I'm not going to save the key until the end of the message. I'm not going to make it a secret. I'm going to give it to you right up front. And then I'm going to spend just a little time trying to convince you that it is the key. And then we're going to turn the key. What do you say? Let's lift up our hands and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray that your touch would be upon us, O God. I pray, Lord, that we would trust in your miracle-working power. I pray that we would lean on you and not under our own understanding. I give you praise. I worship you. I worship you. Could we just give him praise for a moment with our, with our voices? Could we lift up our voices in thanksgiving and worship? Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. I love you, God. I love you, God. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. There are several lessons that we can learn from the first miracle of Jesus that I'd love to just preach about them all, but just to mention them briefly, there is the analogy of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. I believe that that the turning of the water into wine was, of course, 
a foretaste of what was going to happen on the day of Pentecost, where God poured out his spirit. And they said, these men are not drunk, as you suppose. In other words, the, the second covenant was going to be more powerful than the first covenant. And it is always that way with God. He is moving us to greater and greater things. And Jesus, with his very first demonstration of divine power, he began to illustrate that he was coming to do a new thing in the world. He was coming to establish a new kingdom, a kingdom that was not ruled by earthly kings, but a spiritual kingdom that was going to be empowered by the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, a Holy Ghost that would set men free, a Holy Ghost that would save, deliver, touch, and heal, and would give joy and joy unspeakable and full of glory. Jesus was demonstrating with his first miracle that God was saving the best for last. And I believe that if you're a Christian, you can always say that the best is yet to come. Because God is not putting your best days behind you. We have a hope of glory. How many are glad to know we're not living for this world? We are living because the best is yet to come. If I die tomorrow, the best is yet to come because I'm not living for this world. All of this is demonstrated in the very first divine miracle of Jesus Christ on this earth. And what's interesting to me about this particular miracle is that his mother was involved in the miracle. All the mom said, praise the Lord. His mother was involved in the miracle. She knew the divine timing that needed to take place. She was the one who approached Jesus and said, there's a miracle that needs to happen. There's something that needs to happen here right now, and I think you're the one to do it right now. And Jesus rebuked her at first. If you look at it, what have I to do with thee? My, my time has not yet come. But mom knew that it was time for the miraculous to take place. And not only did she know the divine timing, but she also knew the key to the miraculous. She didn't just know that it needed to happen now. She knew what it was going to take for it to happen now. And it didn't start with her arguing with Jesus. She didn't disrespect him. She didn't push him. She didn't. Uh, she didn't threaten to give him a timeout or anything like that. She was just respectful. And then she turned around to those servants, and I'm going to give you the key right now, and then we're going to talk about it for a moment. This is the key to the miraculous. How many need the miraculous in your life tonight? Whatever it is, it may not even be healing in your body. Maybe you need God to do something in your family. Maybe you need God to do something in your finances. Maybe you need God to step into a situation that seems impossible. I'm about to give you the key, but it may not excite you like you want it to. You ready? Whatever he says to do, do it. See, I knew we weren't going to run and shout because that's not real exciting. But let me just tell you, that is the key to the miraculous. Whatever Jesus says to do, do it. It might seem crazy. 
It might seem odd. It might seem unusual. It might make you uncomfortable. You may not like it. People might scratch their heads and say, what is going on over there? Why are you pouring water into water pots? Why are you going through all of that effort? It doesn't matter. If Jesus says to do it, you better do it right now because that is the key to the miracle. Do what he tells you to do. And so the servants, they just began to do what Jesus said, and and they had no idea what was going on. But as they began to do it, the miracle began to take place because Jesus operates in the midst of obedience. God moves and blesses in the midst of obedience. And sometimes obedience feels strange to our carnal flesh. Did you know that your flesh will always push against obedience to the things of God? It doesn't matter where it comes from. Our flesh begins to push against worship. Our flesh begins to fight against praise. Our flesh begins to rise up when God says to do something that we ought to be doing. And we say things like, why would I do that right now? I'm in pain, Lord. Why would I worship right now? I'm not feeling it right now, Lord. But if God tells you to do it, you better do it because he's about to do a miracle. Okay, now. Let's preach for just a moment. Here's some examples from the Bible. If you study all the miracles of the Bible, I challenge you to do this. It's fascinating. In almost every single instance, God commands them either directly with his own voice or through a man of God. Look at your neighbor and say, through a man of God. Did you know that some of you are waiting for God to speak to you directly, but God's trying to speak to you through a man of God and you won't listen? Or I must say that one more time. Some of you are waiting on God to speak to you directly. And God is already talking to you through a man of God. And you better do what God is telling you to do through the man of God before you will receive the miraculous in your life. In almost every instance, whether it was God directly talking or through a prophet or through a preacher, God commanded someone to do something that seemed crazy. Hello. See, we want to we wanna be prim and proper and we want everything to be perfect and just right and we want God to give us the miracle in our timing, in our way, exactly the way that we want it. But the Bible is full of messy miracles. The Bible is full of miracles that demanded strange things, sometimes from strange people. Brother Ryan, are you preaching that we need to be crazy? No, but I'm just telling you we need to be obedient when it seems crazy because faith often looks crazy because we are looking at spiritual things with fleshly eyes and you cannot make sense of the things of the spirit with your fleshly eyes sometimes you have to roll back the spirit realm and look with the eyes of faith and then you're going to see the angels camp round about your enemies right now all you can see is your enemy that's why you're hiding that's why you're hunkered down in fear but open up the eyes of faith and you will see that God is leading you to victory Every miracle that we talk about in the Old Testament, we tell it in Sunday school and they're exciting. But it's crazy when you think about it in today's world. What if God told you that I want you to go march around the city seven days and on the seventh day I want you to march around it seven times. And not only that, when you get done, I want you to scream at the top of your lungs and blow trumpets. 
Some of y'all would be at Chick-fil-A that day. You'd be getting a chicken biscuit with some honey. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And if you're thinking about Chick-fil-A, they're closed on Sunday, so you can't rush out of here, all right? I mentioned them strategically. You can't go. They're closed. What if God told you, I want you to go to the muddy Jordan River, and I want you to get down in that muddy water where the snakes are. Mm. See, some people won't get baptized unless the water's 75 degrees. Uh-oh. What if God told you, I want you to go, and I want you to dip down in that water seven times? Sounds a little crazy, doesn't it? What if the prophet came to you, and you were in the middle of a famine, and you and your son were about to bake the last little bit of bread that you could. And then you were going to eat that last crust of bread and then wait for a slow death of starvation to come. And it's the last meal you had in this world. And God sent a prophet to tell you, I want you to make me your last loaf of bread. and Give it to me. What would you do? No, it would be hard, wouldn't it? Because your flesh would say, that's mine. Would God really demand the last little bit that I have? But God had a miracle in the midst of that obedience. You see, if she would have said no, she would have got one last taste of bread and then she would have died. But because she said yes, God filled her up and filled her up and filled her up and filled her up. Some of you need a refilling of the Holy Ghost tonight. And it isn't going to happen until you give God the last little bit of what you're holding on to and then he's going to fill you up and fill you up and fill you up and fill you up again yes yes the key to the miraculous is whatever he says to do do it what would you do if the prophets of Baal were everywhere they had been dancing and cutting themselves crying out for fire to fall from heaven what would you do if the prophet Elijah said to you I want you to build an altar I want you to put a bull on top of that altar and in the midst of a drought where it has not rained for three and a half years I want you to take gallon after gallon after gallon of precious life giving water and I want you to dump that water on top of the sacrifice I want you to pour it out I can imagine there were some thirsty people there that day that were saying I just want a drink of that water why would you waste it on an altar of sacrifice why would you waste the water just to prove a point no but the prophet knew that he was doing something that people were going to remember for the rest of time and when the fire came down from heaven God proved himself mighty and then when the fire had fallen alive Elijah recognized that the rain was about to come. If they would not have been obedient with the sacrifice, they would have never seen the rain. Sometimes you have to do what seems crazy before you will receive what God has for you. It's always the key to the miraculous. Always the key to the miraculous. Whatever he says to do. Jesus was the same. If you look at his miracles... Every single one of his miracle had a strange command or a strange action involved in it. He would sometimes tell people, I want you to pick up your bed and walk. That doesn't sound strange unless you're talking to someone who had been crippled from birth. And then it seems very strange 
for Jesus to look and say, I just want you to get up and start walking. What would happen if someone had said to Jesus, I can't walk, I'm lame. No, they heard the voice of God and they said, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but if he said to get up, I'm going to get up. And when they would begin to rise, that's when the miracle began to take place in their body. Sometimes you've got to get up when you don't feel like getting up. Sometimes you've got to stand up when you don't think you can stand up. And then God will work the miracle in your body. Somebody needs to hear this preacher tonight. The reason you are missing the miraculous is because you will not get up when God says to get up. Take up your bed. The very first time you ever laid eyes on the disciples who later became the apostles. They had been fishing all night long and they had caught nothing. And the first thing he tells them to do when they come to the shore is he said, I want you to just cast your nets on the other side. We've been fishing all night, Lord. You don't understand. We're, we're experienced fishermen. See, that's what some of us would have said. You don't understand. Have you ever argued with God like that? You don't understand God. You see, I know about this because I've been fishing all my life. I know some fishermen like that, by the way. I'll, I'll, I won't mention their names. It starts with a doctor and ends in inch. Experienced fishermen. I fished with Brother Reindris a few times, and he's kind of that way too. He's one of those, he, he knows all about it. And you know, that's a good thing, but sometimes God tells you to do something, and you think in your flesh, that's not going to make a difference. Because I know, I know. But see, God is not depending on fleshly things. God isn't dependent on the pattern of the fish. I heard someone say one time, well, God knew where the fish were going to be. And so Jesus miraculously knew. And maybe that's true. I don't know. But you know what I think is even possible? God could have created fish where there were no fish. God didn't even have to know where the fish were. God could have just said, hey, listen, there needs to be fish there when they put those nets down and there were fish there. God can create nothing God can take nothing and make it something. God can move in your situation, but you better cast your nets first. After they caught the fish, they came back, and then Jesus even got crazier with them. He said, all right, you've had a good catch, and uh, you've seen that I can do the miraculous. Now I want you to do something even crazier. I want you to lay those nets down, and I want you to follow after me, and now I'm going to make you fishers of men. And those men decided to do something absolutely crazy. They left their job. They left their money. They left it all, and they said, I'm going to follow this man. Uh, I don't know where he's going. I don't know what he's doing. He doesn't have a house. He doesn't have a degree. He doesn't have a church building, but I just saw him do the miraculous, and if he says to go, I'm going to go. If he says to do it, I'm going to do it. That's how you become a preacher. That's how you become anointed. That's how you see the miraculous. Ah. 
And by the way, for all the prospective ministers out there, I want to just go ahead and lay this at your feet for a minute and tell you that it still works that way. You may not have to leave your physical location, but you're going to have to leave a lot of things behind if you want the anointing of God in your life. You will not receive the anointing playing Nintendo and golf all week long. You're going to have to lay some things down and say, Lord, wherever you tell me to go, I'm going to go. Whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do. Whatever I have to give up, I'm willing to give up. So the anointing can be present in my life. Jesus would tell him to go and show yourself to the priest. He looked at Mary and Martha, and he looked at the crowd that day. They were grieving over their brother Lazarus, who had been dead for three days. And he told them, I want you to go and roll the stone away. Just roll it away. But Lord, in one of the few instances where people argued with Jesus, by the way, I'll just point out something interesting to you. It was usually the ones who had the closest relationship with him who argued the most. I'll just leave that there. <laughs> it's usually the church folks. It's usually the church folks. We're a little too comfortable with the things of God. Yeah. But Jesus, you don't understand. He's been dead a long time now and he's going to stink. And it's going to be embarrassing. If we roll away that stone, there's going to be a stench come from it. Lord, what good's going to come from that if, if we have to see our brother's rotting body? What good is going to come out of that, Lord? And he said, I want you to roll away the stone. That's, you know, we've heard the story so many times. It excites us when we hear the phrase roll away the stone, doesn't it? We think, wow, the miracle. And then we equate that with the rolling away of Jesus' stone when he, when he was risen from the dead. But in that day, they had never heard the story like we've heard the story. They didn't know the conclusion. They just had to put their faith in Jesus and do something that seemed absolutely insane. It would be like Jesus telling you to go into a graveyard and dig up a casket and open it up. That's how crazy it would sound. But I came to tell somebody the key to the miraculous is whatever Jesus says to do, do it. Whatever he says to do do it so they did and then even when Lazarus came out he was wrapped up tightly and he said I want you to go I want you to unwrap him right now and they did it and the miraculous took place at the end when he was about to ascend into heaven he told the crowd that day I want you to go and tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high how crazy does it sound to just go to a city and sit down in an upper room and pray and wait on something that you don't even know what it's going to be exactly they're just sitting there waiting wondering what is God about to do and the ones who did not go missed the outpouring of the Holy Ghost but the ones who went were filled with power from on high they had cloven tongues like as a fire sitting upon their heads and they began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave the utterance why because they were willing to go and do whatever Jesus said to do look at your neighbor and say whatever whatever he said to do Many years ago, I was in a revival, and there was a, a woman there who was eaten up with cancer. They said the cancer was everywhere in her body. When she was describing it to me, she said, the doctors have told me that there's no major organ 
in my body that doesn't have some kind of cancer touching a major organ in my body. And they've given me just weeks to live. And she said, I'm going to have to go back and, and I'll probably either die in the hospital or we don't know if they're going to send me home and put me on medication like a home hospice type thing. And she was weeping and she said, but I believe that God is able to do the miraculous. And I don't usually do this kind of thing. For those of you who know me, uh, I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not real quick to ask people to do strange things. It's not my personality. But I felt the Holy Ghost quicken me. If I've ever felt the Holy Ghost quicken me. And God said to me, I want you to tell this lady to go back to the doctor and ask them to check one more time. Now she had just got done telling me that she had spent months and months and months in and out, in and out, in and out of doctor's appointment, test after test, second opinion, third opinion, fourth opinion. And now this crazy preacher is about to look at her and say, I want you to go back to the doctor and ask them to check again. And so I told her, and I was, I got to be honest, I was feeling a little embarrassed to do it. And I didn't want to cause her pain. And there was that little bit of doubt that crept into my mind. And then I said, okay, Lord, you've told me to do it. And so I'm going to do it. And I said, ma'am, I want to pray for you. And after I pray for you, I want to ask you to do something that's going to sound crazy. I want you to go back to the doctor the first chance you get and ask them to check one last time time big old tears streamed down her face we prayed in jesus name we didn't see angels the heavens didn't open up there were no trumpets i didn't see any physical change in her body at all there was absolutely nothing that happened in that moment that gave me any kind of indication that god had worked a miracle but the very next sunday in that same revival service we started worshiping and all of a sudden i saw this lightning bolt run down the middle of the altar and run all the way around the building shouting thank you Jesus thank you Jesus thank you Jesus and I looked down and it was this little apostolic lady and she ran up to me and said brother Ryan I went back to the doctor and they can't explain it but I don't have any cancer in my body whatever he says to do whatever he says to do I want you to do it in that same revival in that same revival, there was a large youth group in that church, and, and many of the kids in that youth group were from homes that where their parents weren't saved. They would, they would bring in uh, people from all over the neighborhood. Sometimes they would bring in uh, 70 or 80 kids, and their parents were not in church. And so what that meant was most of these kids did not have the Holy Ghost, and many of these kids were from uh, very troubled homes. And the Lord had really been dealing with me about these young people, I was burdened for them. Uh, I'd spent a week up in the mountains with them. We did a camp up in the mountains, and uh, we'd come back down. We were in a two-month revival, and uh, people were getting the Holy Ghost in that revival. That lady had been healed. God was pouring out his spirit, but I was burdened because I wanted to see these 70 or 80 kids start receiving the Holy Ghost, and they were not receiving the Holy Ghost. In fact, they were even having a hard time worshiping. They were having a hard time praying. And I could tell they loved God. I could tell they were hungry. But they just could not 
break out of whatever it was that was keeping them from receiving a touch from God and seeing things happen in their life. And so we were nearing the end of the revival. In fact, the pastor told me that uh, we were only going to go another week, maybe two, and then we were going to be done and I was going to move on. And I realized my window of opportunity was closing to see these kids' lives touched. And I preached a message and we got done and the Holy Ghost was being poured out. And I looked out and all of these young people, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 years old, they were just kind of standing back there. They weren't being disrespectful. They just were not responding they were not feeling the presence of God and it grieved my spirit I wanted so desperately for them to be filled with the Holy Ghost and all of a sudden God spoke to me we'd been praying in the altar for about an hour and a half already it was getting late it was past dinner time it was close to 11 o'clock listen in California they go to church till midnight sometimes y'all already be at Zaxby's or something and it was getting really really late and we'd been praying and uh, the keyboard player was still going. They had one of those keyboard players that he'd get up there and he, he'd play the whole thing up and down, up and down, up and down. They did that the whole altar call. And by the time you got done worshiping in the altar, you had to go home and, and basically go straight to bed because you were half dead. You know, could barely move. And everyone was tired. The pastor was tired. And the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to tell these young people to go out into the parking lot and pray. God, are you, is that you or is that, is that something? That sounds a little crazy, doesn't it? And I thought, you know, Lord, and I argued with God a little bit. I, you know, Lord, if I, if I tell these young people to go out in the parking lot and pray, they're going to look at me like I'm crazy. They already think I'm crazy. Now they'll know I'm crazy. And God just kept saying, you tell them to get up and go out in the parking lot and start praying. And I wrestled with it for a long time, even went to the pastor, and I, I kind of did one of these things. I feel like the Lord's telling me to send them out into the parking lot to pray. Do you think that'd be okay? And I was kind of hoping he'd shut it down, and then I could blame it on the pastor. And the pastor said to me, if God told you to take them to the parking lot, you take them to the parking lot. Okay, here we go. So I went down. I said, listen, we're all going to go out and pray in the parking lot. And a couple of them looked at, at, him, at me like I was crazy. And then one, one guy who was kind of the the de facto leader of the group, he said, all right, let's go. And he went with me, and then they all went out with me. And we walked out in the parking lot. I didn't know what to do, so I just lifted up my hands and started praying. Immediately when I lifted my hands, three of them started speaking in other tongues over here. Four of them started speaking in tongues over there. Five of them started speaking in tongues over there. Then people started walking on the street corner, walking over, seeing us pray. God filled a police officer with the Holy Ghost in the parking lot. God filled a gangbanger with the Holy Ghost in the parking lot. You had the police and the gang members getting the Holy Ghost at the same time because whatever Jesus tells you to do you better just get up and do it even if it seems crazy even if it seems impossible uh, many years ago in Mississippi there was a man in a wheelchair I'm hurrying and and he had been in a wheelchair for a long time he'd fallen out of a deer stand while he was hunting and he'd broken his back and he couldn't walk but he loved the Lord and he had been praying for a miracle every service he'd come and say I just want to walk one I want to be able to walk again but it just hurts too much to walk and he'd come up in that wheelchair and we'd pray for him and he'd go back the same way that he came and one service I watched him it was a dead service 
service, you could hear a pin drop. Nobody was worshiping. Everybody looked like they ate a bunch of lemons before they came to church. And I looked at him and I saw something happening in his spirit. You ever see it happening in someone's face? I could tell he was wrestling with something in the Holy Ghost. And while I was preaching, I looked at him and said, Brother, I don't know what God's telling you to do, but go ahead and do it right now. The minute I said that, he jumped up out of that wheelchair, started running, and I haven't seen him stop running in church since that day. God healed him and he never looked back. Sometimes you've just got to do what God tells you to do, even when it seems crazy, even when it seems impossible, even when it looks like it would hurt you. I'll never forget, I'll never forget, I was, I'm, I'm hurrying, but I could do this all night long. I was completely out of gas. I was in the middle of Montana somewhere. There was snow everywhere on the ground. I was on my way somewhere in the United States to preach. I don't even remember. Maybe Colorado, I'm not sure. Snow was everywhere. It was freezing cold. I had run out of gas, and, and I, I said, Lord, you know I don't have any money. I made it into a gas station, but I didn't have one penny. I didn't have a penny, and I didn't even have a debit card because I didn't have a bank account. That's how poor I was. And, I, and the Lord said, I want you to go stand right there by the payphone. I didn't even know there were still payphones. And I said, Lord, a payphone, what's that? And he said, that thing over there, go stand by it. And I went and stood by the payphone, and I stood there for about 15 minutes. And I, all I could think is I'm going to die out here in Montana in the, in the snow. And when they bury me, they're not even going to know my name. And God said, stand here. And I, about 15 minutes, and I got a little impatient. I said, Lord, how long? It's really cold out here. How long do you want me to stand here? And God said, you're going to stand there until I tell you to not stand there anymore. Okay. It's uncomfortable, God. About another 15 minutes went by, and all of a sudden a man in a huge jacket and overalls, walked up to me and he said, is your name Ryan? I'd never met this man in my entire life. And I said, yes, sir, my name is Ryan. He said, are you a preacher? I said, yes, sir, I'm a preacher. He said, he said I'm not even a Christian. I haven't been to church in 20 years, but I was driving my truck down the highway and God spoke to me and said, there's a preacher named Ryan and he needs you to give him a thousand dollars. And he walked up to me and handed me a thousand dollars and said, I don't know why God told me to do it, but I heard the voice of God and I'm going to do what God said to do. I want you to know if God tells you to go stand in the cold, stand in the cold and God will work on your behalf. I'm going to preach this until I get done. I've just got a little bit more. I was in another revival in another city in California, and there was a woman there, and we were in the altar service, and she would walk up to people, and she would lay hands on them, and every time she would lay hands on someone, they would immediately freeze up, and if they had been being touched by the Holy Ghost, it, like their whole demeanor would change, and they would just stop praying, and I realized that something was wrong, and she was going to people one by one like she was a minister, and she was laying hands on them like they were a preacher, and all of a sudden, I began to realize something ungodly is taking place, and and the Lord told me to do something that uh, makes me uncomfortable because in spite of how it sounds when I preach, I know I sound like I'm you know, a real outgoing, loud person. I'm actually a shy, kind of quiet. I don't like confrontation. I know it's hard to believe when you hear me preach, but God told me, I want you to tell that woman to sit down and stop touching people. 
And I said, God, can I go whisper it to her? And he said, no, I want you to say it in the microphone. Tell her to sit down and stop touching people. And I said, Lord, can I just not use the mic? Use the microphone. Tell her to sit down and stop touching people. I didn't realize that the whole church knew who this woman was. And they knew exactly what she had been involved in. She was meddling in witchcraft. And so I was obedient. I didn't want to be. And I said, ma'am, I need you to sit down and stop touching people. And she glared at me. And so I said, in Jesus' name, sit down and stop touching people. So she stormed off to the back row. She got to the back row and she flew, you know, flopped herself down in a pew. And she started kind of acting kind of a little crazy in the back pew. And then there was a lady beside her. And I could see her do it. It was almost, if it hadn't been so evil and if I hadn't felt the uh, spiritual warfare, it would have almost been funny. It was almost like a three-year-old child. You know, if you tell a kid not to touch something, they kind of get antsy. So she was kind. there was a lady praying kind of beside her. And I saw her just kind of doing like this. And she was getting closer. But it was weird. She was kind of moving in an unnatural way until finally, and she did it real big looking at me. And she started doing like this. And she got about there, and I don't know what happened to me, but I got a boldness in the Holy Ghost, and I said, all right, I'm coming down to you. And so I walked down all the way to the back row, and when I walked up to her, the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, I want you to rebuke the spirit of witchcraft. I had no idea that she was involved in witchcraft, but I knew she had an evil spirit. And God said, I want you to rebuke the spirit of witchcraft and the spirit of rebellion, and I want you to do it in my name. I didn't even lay hands on her. I got about that close to her, and I said, I rebuke the spirit of witchcraft right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I did, immediately her eyes rolled back into her head. She fell back like she was having a seizure, and she started to spasm. And all of a sudden, a voice came from her that was not her voice that said, Preacher, get away from me. And again, I rebuked it in the name of Jesus. And when I did, all of a sudden she straightened up her eyes changed and she began to speak in other tongues it was a backslider who had left the church gotten involved in witchcraft and God filled her we cast ten demons out of that lady that night and when we got done she was weeping and she said I don't know I had one moment of sanity before I came to church and God told me if you'll get to church I'll take care of the rest and so I made my way to church and when I got there I started losing my mind again I'm so glad that I made it to the house of the Lord whatever God tells you to do you better do it even if you're bound even if you're in chains even if you're hurting even if you're demon possessed if God tells you to do it do it and he will take care of the rest musicians get ready to come I was I didn't, know it. I didn't know I had pneumonia, but my lungs were full of fluid. I didn't know it at the time. I thought I was having a heart attack. I was in so much pain. And some of you believe this. Some of you won't, but I thought I was going to die, and things were bad. Evangelizing, just trying to do what God called me to do. I'd sold everything that I had, just trying to do a work for God. Because of the sickness, I hadn't been able to preach. We were absolutely broke. Y'all remember this. And uh, I laid in the bed in the middle of the night and 
North Carolina. And could barely breathe. I didn't know it at the time, but my lungs were just completely full of infection and fluid. And every breath hurt. Every breath felt like fire. Every breath felt like I was having a heart attack. And, and it was causing, because I couldn't breathe properly, it was causing me to feel like I was strangling all the time. And, and also the fever and the chills and the shaking. And I was praying. And as I was praying, this is the strange thing. While I was praying, a demon walked into my bedroom. I was in that room by myself. And the door physically opened and physically closed. Opened and closed. And the demon was there in my room. I won't describe to you what it looked like, but it was terrifying. And the demon began to speak to me. And it said things like, you're going to die. You're never going to have the ministry that you thought God had called you to. And the demon began to try to intimidate me, tried to scare me, said very insulting things to me. By the way, the devil hates you. He hates your soul. And he knows, I'm going to just say it in layman's terms, he knows how to hurt your feelings. He knows what hurts your heart. And that demon knew exactly what to say to me to make me feel worthless and to make me feel washed up. And as the demon was speaking, I couldn't get my mouth open. I was trying to open my mouth and I was trying to just speak the name of Jesus. I knew to speak the name of Jesus, but I couldn't open my mouth. And so I was praying in my mind and I was saying, Lord, I need you to help me. And just as the demon was saying, tonight's your night, you're going to die tonight. The Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, I want you to say these words. I am weak, but he is strong. I am weak. He shall amosa, but he is strong. And I couldn't open my mouth. And I said, Lord, I'm so weak, I can't even say it. And God said, even if you have to whisper it. And so I said, I felt a release in the spirit and then I got a little louder I said I am weak but he is strong I am weak but he is strong and then the Holy Ghost said now speak my name and the moment I said the name Jesus disappear and was gone because there is power in the name power in the name stand with me whatever he tells you to do you better do it midnight Natchez Mississippi Sunday morning, I was studying to preach the very next day. The church was in a mess. There was a family that was angry. Connected to a drug dealer, a violent drug dealer. My office had a window, and the window was behind my head. Twelve 
8.01 a.m. As I'm studying, the Holy Ghost said, I want you to lay your head on the desk right now. I didn't even have time to think. I just laid my head on the desk and I hit my head pretty hard when I did it. The minute I did, I heard a shot ring out and I heard glass break and I heard the sound of a bullet whizzing exactly where my head had just been. It went through the window, it went through the drywall and it went three walls through the church. Just missed my head. If the Holy Ghost tells you to do it, you better do it. Don't think about it. The key to the miraculous is for you to do whatever God tells you to do. God's telling somebody to come to this altar right now, and you better go ahead and turn the key and get into his presence because he wants to do a work in your life. Somebody needs to hurry on down here.